Mesdames et Messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Hello, fans of Shuklistan, and welcome to another episode of Keep the Flame Alive, the podcast for fans of the Olympics and Paralympics. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello, how are you? Hello! I have been watching lawn bowls and cricket <laughs> and lots of things and cheering for Scotland. So you have been watching Commonwealth Games. I have been. And if people want to talk Commonwealth Games, a lot happening on our Facebook group. That is correct. I have I've not seen much Commonwealth Games at all beyond the a little bit of opening ceremonies that listener Patrick posted in the Facebook group. But people are very excited and they're they're enjoying watching it. And Duran Duran was in the opening ceremonies, which made it all worthwhile. No, it didn't because the show version that I saw had like. A tiny bit of Duran Duran. Not enough Duran Duran to, to please me. It had a close-up of Simon Le bon. My My 13-year-old self's heart could not contain herself. <laughs> well, you might be excited because we are talking to somebody from Scotland today. I know. <laughs> so, contributor Ben Jackson is back with another interview for us. And he talked with Olympic modern pentathlete Joe Muir. Joe competed at Tokyo 2020 representing Team GB and took 14th place in the women's competition. She talked with Ben about her time in Tokyo, the changes to the modern pentathlon event that we'll see at Paris 2024, and the changes taking place to get the sport back onto the program for LA 2028. Take a listen. So, Joe, I want to start with the 2020 Olympic Games and the run-up to that, right? We still call them the 2020 Games, even though they were 2021. What was it like in the run-up? You're getting ready to qualify. Maybe you had already qualified, and then the pandemic hits. And what was going through your mind as all of that was happening? Yeah, it was a really stressful time. So in pentathlon, you get direct qualification at certain competitions, so you can qualify directly the year before the Games. So either by coming top eight at the European or at the, it depends on um, what continent you're from, but at the continental championships, by coming top three at the world champs or by winning the World Cup final. But it's, it changes each cycle. But for Tokyo, the spots were only allocated to one person per nation. So if your teammate came first at Europeans and you came third, the spot would go to your teammate, which it didn't necessarily mean that that's who would be going. It just meant you'd qualified a spot for your country. So it's all very, very confusing. But basically, I hadn't qualified individually yet. So I started off 2020 season really well. And I won my first World Cup and won the previous competition before that. So I was in really, really good form. I'd always wanted to win a World Cup medal. So to win gold was amazing and I was really really ready to sort of get my teeth into it do all I could to qualify and then we heard all this 
stuff about a pandemic. Nobody really was sure what was going to happen. It was obviously like very different in like different countries. And to start with, obviously it was like in China and you were hearing of people bringing it over and it was all quite stressful. But we just carried on training. We had other World Cups coming up, had to just focus on that. And then it became a pandemic, obviously, and we all went into lockdown. To begin with, we were told that we'd be able to continue training because we'd have elite sport exemption. So we left on the Friday afternoon thinking, we'll see you all on Monday. On Monday, that was when the actual lockdown was announced in Britain. So we didn't go back to the training centre again for a good three months or so but it was weird because we didn't know whether the Olympics was going to be going ahead in July August or if it was going to be postponed or cancelled like nobody knew what was happening so I think that was almost worse because we weren't able to train but we had the Olympic Games in four five months so I think when the Olympics was actually postponed it was a relief in a weird way it was kind of it was a strange feeling because I felt like I was in the best shape of my life going sort of off the back of the start of the year, the way I started the year. But then it was also a huge relief because some nations were still able to train and we're just carrying on as usual. Whereas we literally, I don't know what it was like with you, but we had like sanctions put on like when we were allowed to exercise, how much exercise we could do or like leaving the house. So we were only allowed to do like leave the house once a day for an hour. So when you're trying to train for five different sports, it's quite challenging. But I was lucky enough, my parents live on a farm um, and are farmers in Scotland. So I went up back home and I actually just, I did loads of training around the farm and me and my brother built a bit of a farm gym, which was great. But yeah, it was it was a really strange time. But I think in a way like personally for me I think that extra year just allowed me to like work on the things that I hadn't I almost didn't have the time to work on before the pandemic so I don't know whether it was like the kind of rehab stuff or like the prehab stuff or just working on my streamline and swimming with lots of stretches that kind of thing I was really able to work on during the lockdowns and I think just as well like matured as an athlete and as a person and it all worked out in the end for me, luckily. I was very fortunate. So let's talk about this just as a quick reminder for people who may not be familiar. You mentioned you're training for five sports. Which five are you training for? Yeah, so I do modern pentathlon. So it's running, swimming, shooting, horse riding, and fencing. You were able to go out to the farm. You've got a little bit of space there. Did you have access to a pool? Were there people to fence with? Were there horses to ride? Oh no, <laughs> we were um, we were very much in isolation. So my brother went home as well. So there was like my parents, me and my brother, and yeah, I didn't fence for we didn't fence again properly until October because even when we came back to training, we weren't allowed to it's obviously you can't really socially distance when you're fencing. So we weren't allowed to fence for such a long time. And horse riding, I actually, I grew up with horses. That was like my first sport that I got into. But unfortunately we don't have any on the farm anymore. So I wasn't able to ride. And I eventually started swimming in the river when things were a bit more lenient and you could like go out and 
do some extra sessions and things. So that was how I did my swim training. But yes, very different from swimming in a pool. (laughs) (laughs) So which one of those is your favorite? Let me ask that first. Of those five sports, do you have a favorite or is it just like I do them all because I'm in one big sport? So my favorite is probably horse riding because that was my number one, like sort of my first love. But it's also probably the most stressful (laughs) in competition because it's the one where you're not completely in control of the situation. You're obviously riding a horse and it's got its own brain and each horse is very different, very individual. So yeah there's part of it that's out with your control no matter how talented a horse rider you are but I think it also makes it exciting that there's that element in it I do love horse riding and then I also love the laser run so the running and the shooting is now combined so you run in you shoot your target you have to get five green lights and then you run so it's actually just changed this year it was 800 meter loops you would do now it's gone to 600 meters so rather than we used to do four 800s we now do five 600 meters so that's also really exciting and a lot can change in the laser run it can really be determined by how you shoot and as well as obviously your running ability so those are my two faves the horse riding in modern pentathlon though you're not bringing your own horse to the competition no (laughs) so you get a strange Um, horse yeah Yeah, so you get 20 minutes to get to know this horse, to get on it, do a few jumps. There's rules on how many jumps you're allowed to do and things. So you've got to be really quick at like getting a feel for the horse. Like I always try and get down early and I'll just like try and bond with the horse a little bit. Just so you you have to trust the horse. The horse has to trust you. And 20 minutes is obviously not long to do that. So yeah, it is challenging and yeah, you can ride some very different horses, but all of the horses go around the course already with their, um, before the competition starts, with their grooms or their owners. So it's called like a test jump. So all the horses are able and are capable of doing the course. I haven't been around horses a lot. I've been on horses a couple of times. How wide a variety? Like, can you get like a grumpy horse or a, or excited horse or a happy horse? Like, how do you kind of do that and build that bond? Like you say, 20 minutes, that's not a lot of time. Yeah, you can definitely get like all of those kinds of horses. You get some horses that are really forward going. They love to jump. But the issue with them is they might get a bit fast. If they get faster, their canter isn't as bouncy. So they might, it's, we call it flat, and they get sort of flat. So they might knock more fences over. Then you get horses that are just a little bit stubborn. They might not want to be as keen for jumping. Um, you really get a whole different variety. So I think it's just about when you get on the horse, I like to take it through lots of transitions. So walk to trot, trot to canter, canter to walk that sort of thing just get it listening to you get it listening to your leg um I never do too much in the warm-up the horses are already warm but I just want to sort of create that bond with the horse and then we'll do a few jumps so you kind of have a feel for the jump as well and yeah then you then you go for it (laughs) um I think like quite often like we'll use our voice 
for like encouragement and obviously just like patting the horse and things like that as well and yeah you don't show up with like lumps of sugar first or anything sometimes some polos (laughs) (laughs) so you qualify are you you've qualified you've locked down you're getting ready to go it's 2021 at this point had you been vaccinated by that point so I basically I qualified through the ranking list so six spots go to the ranking list although it always ends up being more depends how everyone's qualified but I qualified through the ranking list so kind of found out it would have been around about like the 16th of June 2021 I found out that I was going to the Olympics so that not at that stage I had had my first vaccine so we were really really fortunate and we got kind of like fast tracked for okay. a vaccine so we were really we were really lucky so I'd had one vaccine was getting my other vaccine in a week or so's time so was fully vaccinated when we went to Tokyo I'm not sure I'm feeling you maybe actually I might be wrong in saying it I don't know if you did have to be but it was obviously like very strict around Covid and it was obviously so serious so we had to be like really sensible so yeah qualified and then it was I think it got almost more stressful (laughs) because it it was something like that I'd been working for my whole adult life and Covid was so rife in England at the time and yeah like things were opening up lockdowns were easing so people were starting to go out I think they got rid of like it wasn't compulsory to wear a mask and all of these things happened sort of three weeks before we were going to leave for Tokyo and the cases just spiked and we knew if we got it then it was game over and like we wouldn't have been able to go to the Olympics so it was just a case of being so so careful we really just isolated ourselves away like me and my partner who I live with I think it was an absolute nightmare (laughs) because I was um, not letting him do anything because (laughs) I was obviously worried but he was great and very supportive and things and yeah and it was just in the training center as well because we trained with some students people of all different ages so it was kind of like they got told if you're here and training, then you can't be going out. You can't be going to the pub for dinner, whatever it was. It's like you're here as a training partner for these guys going to the Olympics. So it was pretty strict, but luckily it was all fine. And we all made it to the, to the start line in Tokyo. <laughs> so what was it like getting into Tokyo and into that Olympic village? Were they testing you? What was it like for you guys? Yes, yeah, so we had testing. It was... A month before we left, we had to do a test, two weeks before we left, and then a week before we left. I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that. But then in the last two weeks before we left, every single day, we had to do one of the lateral flows, one of the rapid tests every day. Then we, when we arrived, we had a PCR test. And then every morning we would have to do a PCR test so yeah it was like strict and we weren't allowed to leave the olympic village or leave the holding camp before we got in it was only like if it was scheduled to do so so when we went to the training venue or if we went to the competition venue but you weren't allowed to just go and wander around the streets of tokyo (laughs) did you have some time to train once you got there and get adjusted and even just the time change and everything else 
it was, yeah, it was over a week before we competed. So I think we went out on the Monday and we were competing the following Thursday. So we stayed at the holding camp until the Sunday. So we were there for like five, I think with the time difference and everything, we were there for about five days at the holding camp. So Team GB holding camp, all the other Team GB athletes that hadn't competed or hadn't gone into the village yet were all training there as well or staying there. And then we would train at the university, so KO University. So yeah, we had the opportunity to train, which was really good. We had amazing facilities out there and like the hotel and everything was great. We've all felt very well looked after. But yeah, it was it was surreal as well because so when I got to the training camp, it wasn't even like we were in the village yet. But you would see these British athletes that you've seen on TV and you've always looked up to, and they'd just be there like having dinner next to you, and you'd all be chatting, and it was just such a surreal experience. You just had to pinch yourself and be like, oh my goodness, I'm really here. (laughs) And so you you made it. And am I remembering this right? Was it crazy hot in Tokyo during the yeah during the competition? I seem to remember like it was pretty brutal. For- yeah, no, it was hot. So we had prepared before we left. So we'd been doing heat sort of acclimatization. So for the two weeks before we left, we were in these portable greenhouses, going on the bike, just trying to get used to the temperatures and like there's obviously science behind it and it's trying to increase your capability to sweat so it was all like monitored and stuff but we'd done that before we left but then I don't think anything can prepare you for just like how muggy it was because it was sunny some days but it was more it was just so humid but we were fortunate when we competed and well the laser run which is the thing that's the longest and you're outside it was about seven o'clock in the evening that we did it so it was dark so the sun had gone away so it was still hot but it wasn't like anything ridiculous so how does it compare to the heat wave you guys are having now honestly we were all saying that to be <laughs> fair it, it was last week but we were like i don't think it was this hot in tokyo wow like honestly it was so relentless last week (laughs) wow wow yeah so tell me about the competition then how was it you get to the start line and it's time to go you're doing all the events in one day is that right so we fenced the day before so we did our fencing ranking round the day before and then we do everything the next day as well so we have what's called a fencing bonus round so the main day starts so we have we've already fenced then the next day we start with the swim then we have the fencing bonus round then we have the ride and then we finish with the laser run so yeah that was kind of like the format of the day okay um, so the the previous day when we'd fenced and um, fencing has always been the one that I've struggled with the most and I've had to like really work at and all season my fencing had been going well I felt like I'd had a breakthrough and I don't know what happened at the Olympics but my fence was so poor and it was like almost back to my old ways of fencing and I was so disappointed because I think I finished the fence in like 33rd out of 36 so I was right down at the bottom Um, and I'd gone into the Olympics ranked sixth in the world and I knew it was going to be so hard to so to get myself back up into like the top six or eight at the Olympics. And I mean, my my goal was 
to win a medal I think everyone wants to go and like try and win a medal and I definitely believe that I could have if everything had gone right on the day but yeah I think I don't know whether it was like the pressure if it was we hadn't done as much fencing when we got out there I'm really not sure but something just didn't click on the day of the fence but I think in a pentathlon you don't know what's going to happen and I just I knew there was such a long day ahead of us the next day and I was like I'm going to just fight till the end try and make up as many places so in the end I managed I came 14 which was disappointing but the whole experience was amazing and I, I don't want to think negatively about it too much and yeah it was amazing just getting to the Olympics and things so yeah I would have loved to have won a medal but it wasn't to be. I want to ask you about that part of it because about that that variability of pentathlon which is you get a strange horse if you get a good horse great if you get a bad horse that could cause a lot of problems everybody's training in five sports. So everybody's going to have strong areas and weak areas. When you're fencing, you're fencing everybody else, right, in the competition. It Does it feel like as a competitor, there's a big element of luck to some of this? Or do you feel like if I train well enough and I plan well enough, I can kind of control the variables? Yeah, that's a good question. I think... You can definitely like control them. There might be like occasionally it's completely out with your control. And like, I don't know, you might just draw a horse who's had a really bad experience in the first round and it just decides it's not going to go. And I think that's a really difficult one because you've not done anything to affect the horse. Like the horse could go around. It's it's tricky so there is that but I think if you kind of look at the results and like it's sort of all down to consistency and it's kind of you always see the same people at the top and yeah some once in a blue moon someone might have a bad competition but I think the top athletes all kind of get results they sort of figure it out so yeah so it kind of like there is I think there are a lot of things you have to get right But I think if you're like prepared enough, then yeah, you can do it. (laughs) So I want to ask you about the future of the sport now and things are changing. And in Paris, they're trying to tighten it up even more, right? It's it's going to be faster, more together. Yeah, so we've so they've actually started the new format already. So previously, like you said, it was all done over a day. And I think in Tokyo, it was all in like the afternoon. So it was quite spread out. So I think we started at, say, one-ish. We finished at seven. So it's a long day for spectators to sit and watch that. So they're now condensing it. So you've already done your fencing ranking round. So this is just so just at the Olympics and at our World Cup finals. So you've done your fencing ranking round. There's 36 athletes. You all fence one another, so the same as before. But then you get split into two semi-finals. So there'll be semi-final A, semi-final B. So it's all done. I think it's on your world ranking, but don't quote me on that. It might be done on the fencing position. I've not quite figured it out yet because I've actually only done the new format once. But they're meant to be pretty fair. And then you start with the ride. So you get an hour's general warm up. You then begin with the ride. 
then you have your fencing bonus round then you swim and then you laser run so it's different order still finishing with the laser run but the main difference is you've only got about 10-15 minutes between each event so depending on where you are so we go in reverse order for the ride so if you actually had a bad fence you've then got a little bit more time to prepare for the bonus round if rather than if you've had a, a really good fence and it sort of works like that through the competition so I think they're hoping that the competition is finished in like two hours okay which will be and it, it's really good to watch like it is far it's just quicker and you're not sort of sitting twiddling your thumbs for a while waiting <laughs> on the competition so no I think it's exciting it's just I think trying to because in our world cups we then have a qualification round before that so it gets there's quite a lot of rounds and it can get slightly confusing but I think once everyone's got like the gist of it I think it will be really positive so how hard is that going to be for the athletes though to to sandwich all of that into that that tight of a time yeah it's definitely tough and like we've never had to do transitions or anything before so we'd we would run, we might have like half an hour, we'd swim, we'd have our lunch, chill out for a couple of hours, have a fancy lesson. Like it was, we were never on like, there was never any time pressure to it. Whereas now we've started training like transition. So we'll do a swim and then we'll go straight into the run. And yeah, it's just like training and making sure you're robust enough to be able to handle that. So I think that's really important because I think there's a lot more like risk of injury and things and it's also just sussing out like pacing and things it's so I think the question is it's like do you want to swim a max 200 in 15 minutes time you're going to be having to try and shoot four centimeter diameter circle like from 10 meters like is that optimal for performance or is it better to maybe swim at 90 percent of effort and then hopefully the shooting will be better some people maybe it doesn't affect them so they might be able to manage to shoot really well and run really well off a max swim but others might struggle so I think it's I think there's a lot of learning to do just to suss this all out it's just a shame that there's only three years or there was three years to do that in between rather than four right well so does this mean then I imagine the sport was always strategic and the athletes always had to know themselves well, but does this change the strategy or the way these, that athletes have to approach the strategy and what they have to know about themselves, do you think? Yeah, definitely. And I think nutrition has always played a part, like a big part, but I think it's now more important than ever because you need to really suss out like your nutrition strategy your hydration strategy then in between the rounds it's like your recovery strategy as well so I'm doing the fencing round on the Monday the semi-final on the Tuesday I've got to rest on the Wednesday and then the final on the Thursday like how am I going to make sure I get to the final but then I'm recovered so that I can give it my all in the final so definitely and I think it is at the moment I think it's just kind of like trial and error and trying different strategies and training see what works best and going from there have you guys been calling the triathlon people to ask about transitions 
Um, not personally, but I think, <laughs> think like our team have been like, hmm. But I mean, their transitions are like in 30 seconds. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have anything like that to contend with. But yeah, we can definitely learn from other sports as well. So Paris, then that's our next one and it's going to be tighter. And then beyond that, there's talk of more changes to pentathlon. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are about what's happening with that. Maybe getting rid of the horses, maybe adding an obstacle course, but you're already running and shooting. Do you have any thoughts about what pentathlon will look like and maybe what versus what it should look like? Yeah. So personally, I'm obviously I come from a horse riding background and that's what got me into the sport. So I'm really sad about the decision to remove horse riding. However, they had to change something. If they were going to keep riding, they need to change something. I think the riding has been an issue for a number of years and we've always said sort of in Britain and my mum was a horse rider and things as well so we've always had conversations and ways that we thought that they could change the horse riding make it fairer make the standard higher and they've changed and so they is like the UIPM who are like international governing body but they've never they've changed other sports but they've never done anything with the ride and then it's now got to the stage where rather than trying to reform the riding it's almost easier to remove the riding and I just think it's that's the history of our sport like it's the story that it's meant to emulate the all-round athlete and a soldier or a cavalry officer going to war and all the things he had to do to get there sort of thing so I think it definitely is sad because horse riding is part of the history of pentathlon but yeah like I said they do need to change it but I I've not personally tried the obstacle course race so I feel like I I don't have any opinion on it because I I've heard good things I've heard bad things I don't know I do I think there should be another running race probably not like we've already got our laser run I think an obstacle an obstacle course race would be it would create a completely different type of athlete because we're going to be getting athletes who are really strong like who've got really strong upper bodies typically I mean there isn't like a sort of one size fits all for pentathlon it's we've got very different types of bodies but I think typically we're not that strong in our upper bodies so I think that will definitely change if obstacle course racing does come in and I am worried about the future of pentathlon and its place in the Olympic program because at the moment it's currently not in the program for LA Mm -hmm. and I don't think that's going to be decided until like the beginning of next year and it's a real worry me and my teammates and all the staff like that's our life and it's what we've always done so yeah it's worrying and I just really hope that they make the right decision and well, we so if you, you said you've thought about what you would do to reform the riding. What would you do to reform the riding? So I think there needs to be much tougher checks on riding ability. So in Britain, we have to get a riding certificate. So we have to have our riding instructor, Jabina, she has to go around and she signs it if she thinks that you're capable of riding. But she's pretty harsh like (laughs) she won't give you a certificate unless 
she knows you can. Whereas I do think in other countries, they sort I don't know if any other countries have that, but I think you get people who are really good at four of the disciplines and they think of it as a triathlon and maybe don't put the effort into the right. And I just think there needs to be so this since the Olympics there has been like some tougher rules and things. And I think now apparently if you get like eliminated in two competitions back to back, you get your you get a sort of ban for 60 days so you're not allowed to ride for that long until you've like sorted it out but I just think there's so much more that could be done and they've lowered the jumping height which like I don't necessarily think is a bad thing but I think by lowering it you're maybe encouraging bad riding because you don't have to be as sort of talented at riding but I think it's really tricky I think they need to be stricter in the warm-up arena as well and they definitely have been this year I think we, there's a lot that we could take from the FEI which is the equestrian governing body and some of their rules and things but it it definitely has got better this year they've got stricter in reducing the number of stops before you get eliminated and things but yeah I think there's definitely like more you could do and that elimination, does it eliminate an athlete from the competition completely? Um, so you score zero in the ride. So you okay. can still do the laser run, but you're not gonna you're not gonna be in contention for any sort okay. of result. Yeah. Okay. Is that too much? Then does that make the horses kind of a too much of a wild card? Should people be able to maybe bring their own horse? It's tricky because I think Pentathlon has sort of previously maybe been brushed as like an elitist sport and you've got to have money to get into it which and you've got to go to private school which is completely untrue like I didn't go to a private school I grew up on a farm in a very normal family but I think if it was you were bringing your own horse you had to have your own horse I think it then really makes it not accessible to as many people and I don't know like you there I don't know it's just the argument about money and things so yeah it, yeah it is a tricky one I think as well like we should be able to have longer with the horse to warm up so maybe like when we arrive on the first day of competition you meet the horse you're gonna ride and you can get to know it better and then the horse trusts you more as well that makes sense sure so I want to ask you about Two other things sort of related to that. One is, do you think laser run could be its own sport? Yeah, I think it could. And it's got its own world championships now. It's a really, really fun sport. I think if you haven't tried it, you should definitely give it a go. It's just like you can get people who are really good at shooting or really good at running and or good at both. So I don't know when and you could be doing really well and then you could have a bad shoot and it just changes so much like you yeah you just have to stay so focused and it's really fun laser shooting is great fun I love it yeah I mean I've seen your pictures on Instagram and I've seen some of the stuff posted and it's like I want to find one of these events it looks like a great time yeah uh, no it definitely is I don't know in America, I'm not sure what the Pentathlon website's called, but there'll be like Pentathlon America, and I'm sure they've got like information on it and where you can do it and things. Yeah. And I know you can like hire 
the guns like they'll provide guns and things at the competitions so no it's really worth a go and then the other thing I wanted to ask you about because you talked about this I listened to your interview on the other 99% podcast and you mentioned something and I wanted I'm going to ask a follow-up question from another interview because I, I, <laughs> I wanted to ask you about this I was I wanted them to ask you about this which is you talked about being part of a team and you've mentioned being part of a team in this conversation. And even though you're competing as an individual, how important is it that you're part of that team that goes to the Olympics, for example? Like, what does that mean for you? Oh, being part of a team is hugely important. Like, yeah, I'm, it's an individual sport, but I have a huge team around about me. Like, it wouldn't have been possible without the team. So without all of this support staff, all of the coaches. So support staff, I mean, like the SNC, nutritionists, physios, doctors, psychologists, like all of those people. And then as well, my teammates, my fellow athletes. Like, I think we're all obviously trying to get the most out of our own bodies as we can, but we all just, we push each other on, we support one another, we all want the best for one another. And it's it's like really healthy competition. So I think it's like hugely important. And yeah, I always think of it sort of as a team sport almost rather than an individual. And then like going back to like what you said at the Olympics. And I think being part of like Team GB was just huge for me that's like one of the greatest teams in the world and you have all these athletes from all the different sports different ages like I can't actually remember there's like the youngest athlete was like 13 or 14 the oldest was in his 60s or 50s or something like you've got such a range of people but you're all competing you're all there as one team and I just love that and so to come back to this notion of the team and then also the pandemic, when I was watching stuff and trying to follow modern pentathlon up to Tokyo, I found the Team GB Power of Five videos and the workout of the week videos that you were leading. So I, I trained with you during the pandemic, whether you know <laughs> it or not. How did those come about? I think it was. We had ideas, it was like before the pandemic, that we really wanted to try and like do more with the social media and get the athletes involved. And then it was kind of the perfect time because the pandemic hit and we were like, okay, now is a really good chance. So yeah, it was one of the girls that works in the office, Emily, she was like really behind it and she was emailing us and asking if anyone wanted to be part of the videos. So yeah, I enjoy doing stuff like that. So it was good fun. And yeah, it was nice as well because each week you would see a different athlete doing it. And it was nice that everyone kind of got on board. And did did you design the word of the week workouts? Can I blame you for all the times when I said, why more burpees? <laughs> I did not put burpees in that. <laughs> I would not have been putting burpees in that. I don't even think I knew how to do a burpee when I was doing those. <laughs> So that was not me, but I apologize on whoever it was. Well, no, they were they were great fun. I mean, those those were wonderful. It was great to kind of have that. And you've kind of continued to lead virtual workouts, right? 
Yeah, yeah. So last year after the Games, I did my Pilates qualification. So my Pilates mat work qualification. So I've started teaching Pilates. I've been teaching since January online and I love it. It's great. It's just so nice to have something else to focus on and not just pentathlon I felt like for so long that was kind of my whole life was revolved around that and I think it's really healthy to have that balance so it's really nice having being able to put my time and effort into Pilates as well as into my training and I really think it's it complements my training so well it's kind of some of the things that my physio gives me I'm like this is literally what I'm giving like my clients and Pilates like it's all of the prehab stuff that I've got to do to make sure I'm robust and not going to get injured it's all the core stuff that we do before swimming in our pre-pool warm-ups and yeah it's just so good and I think as well for your mind Because when you're doing a Pilates practice, you're just really focusing on that like movement and on your breath work and you're just completely clearing your mind. Because I think we're all so busy now thinking of the next thing or on our phones or looking at screens. And it's so nice just to be able to empty your mind and just think about your body and what's actually going on in the here and now so yeah I love it and I'm actually I've been um spent the afternoon earlier before I spoke to you just looking at some venues I'm hoping to start teaching in-person classes in Bath um in October so yeah it's exciting but I teach on a Tuesday night so 7 p.m british time so I'm not sure what the time difference is but for anyone that is interested yeah, I'm sure there'll be a link to my social media. Okay, yeah, no, we'll put the link in. That'll be cool. great. It's amazing what we can do now and what the pandemic taught us to do, right? With that whole sort of let's shift to online and thinking about new ways to learn and to interact, so. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's great just being able to do it from your living room, not having to go anywhere. I mean, I you, it is amazing going to a class and all working out together, but... Yeah, it's a great alternative. So a couple more questions here. You you mentioned this just a second ago about getting a break from the screens. And one of the things that you did right in Tokyo, I remember, was you posted something, I think it was on Instagram, where you said, I'm taking a social media break, guys. I'll see you after the games. How important is that for you as an athlete to say, you know what? now is the time I've really got to focus or maybe I need to get away from these screens or maybe I need to get away from the crazies that are bugging me about doing a podcast on social media. I mean, what was the thinking behind that break? And do you think that maybe people should do that a little bit more often? Yeah, no, I think it was really important. I've had like little, I call them social media cleansings before because yeah, I think if we're always on social media, like one we're always comparing ourselves to others and we're not in the moment when we're busy scrolling through our news feed so yeah I just try not to like use it too much and I think at the Olympics especially it was almost overwhelming it was it was really good and it was amazing the support and afterwards I was up until like 3am like reading messages of support and things but I just before the Olympics I just couldn't deal with that like it was overwhelming because I not never experienced anything like it so I just 
I really, really appreciated it all. And I read every single message after and replied to every single message. But just, yeah, before I needed to just focus on my competition I would have been up for hours the night before if I was like replying to everyone so (laughs) just needed to like focus on the competition and just get my head in gear and not I don't know not be doing it for the wrong reasons or be doing it for Instagram or whatever it was so yeah I think it was the right decision (laughs) and do you think that people should maybe do those social media cleanses from time to time oh yeah 100 percent like I don't know we had like some friends at the weekend and then my cousin stayed for a few days and like I realized I hadn't been on Instagram for like four or five days and I was like it's actually really nice like just being with friends and like actually having conversations and not not being behind the screen yeah Um, and I do think it's really sad like when you're kind of like walking into town and everyone's looking at their phone and no one's just like looking around and looking at the nice weather or the views so I think it can do us all good I think yeah, even if it's just like reducing it for on your commute into work or whatever it is, read a, reading a book instead, I think it's important. Yeah. So let me ask you one more question here, which is if you were going to create a pentathlon, oh, what would it be? What five events would be in Joe's pentathlon? Oh, that's a good question. I'd have laser on. Okay. I'd have riding. So laser on, I guess, is like the shooting and running. I'd probably, I would have swimming as well, I think. And I'd probably have cycling just because I quite like cycling. I'd probably do away with fencing. Do away with fencing? Oh, Me and fencing just don't get on. <laughs> <laughs> we have a love-hate relationship. Sometimes, sometimes we get on, sometimes not so much. <laughs> okay. Is there anything else that you think that people should know about pentathlon or the future or or anything else that that we haven't talked about that that you would want to talk about um, oh gosh I feel that's a very open question not off the top of my head okay. um, but I maybe I might just say that it's been in the Olympic Games so in the Olympic program since 1912 and it was created by Pierre de Coubertin who was the founder of the modern Olympics so I just think that it's really important to kind of hold on to that history and like remember that and like hopefully it will continue to be in the Olympic program in years to come but it's just worrying at the moment like with what's happening but yeah that's probably it. (laughs) Are you still doing the charity work do you want to talk about that at all? So I'm still an ambassador for Dorothy House I actually I haven't been there for ages like after the pandemic it got like really strict obviously with like people visiting because it's a hospice so it cares for people with life-limiting illnesses and so obviously they have to be super careful but I've done like the last thing I did for them was a little video promoting some of the events that they run in schools and things so I really liked helping out and it's such a great charity and it's obviously in the local community and stuff and yeah, no, I would like to get more involved again and try and get up there and see them. And how did you choose that? I actually got approached by a friend of mine and they were looking for ambassadors and I, he was like, would you be interested in this? And I was like, yeah, definitely. So yeah, kind of, that's how it started. Okay. Joe, thank you so much. 
Thank you so much, Joe and Ben. Follow Joe on Insta at JoeMuir underscore 194 and at Poised underscore Pilates. It hadn't occurred to me that the new format for Paris 2024 makes it more like a triathlon with transition times. Right, because they're speeding everything up and you don't have the leisurely pace of certainly <laughs> 20 or 30 years ago where it was over multiple days. But even what we saw in Tokyo over a couple of days, this is get those shoes off, kid. Right. That does make me excited to see what it will be like at Paris because the speeding it up, it does really, as Joe said, ta- make you think about strategy a whole lot more. And how do you attack each event? And that's going to be really cool, I think. I just like the image of Joe training in the pond or the river <laughs> for her swimming before Tokyo. <laughs> Welcome to Shiflistan. It is the time in the show when we check in with our team, Keep the Flame Alive. These are past guests of the show who are now citizens of our country, Shiflistan. Starting off with some beach volleyball, Kelly Clace Chang and her partner Betsy Flint are playing in a bunch of tournaments on tour. This past weekend, they were in Fort Lauderdale, where they made it to the semifinals of the AVP tour there. Next up, they are going to Atlanta this coming weekend. Kelly is currently ranked first on the AVP tour in aces, second in kills, and third in terminal blocks. Jason Turdeman has officially retired from Luge, but has joined USA Luge as junior national team coach. Yay! And get well soon to superfan Sarah, who has COVID. Not cool. Not cool. We're very sorry to hear that and hope you are feeling better soon. A little bit of Paris 2024 news. The budget has increased, writes Ed Dixon in Sports Pro. The initial budget for Paris when they got the games in 2018 was 6.8 billion euros, which is just about the same in dollars. And now it is 8.3 billion euros. And that is likely to increase because of higher costs for construction and increased security. Meanwhile, they keep moving venues around like crazy. They keep moving venues. They keep eliminating places. Oh, we're not going to build this temporary venue. We're just going to use this shack in Pierre's backyard. (laughs) Are you talking about the new media center? I am talking about the new (laughs) media center. So, yes, the proposed media center, which would have been the not broadcast journalists workroom was going to be a temporary facility and now they are using a much smaller convention center it'll be interesting to see how that turns out because they are quite the distance from each other so i i don't know we'll see how it works for us i i'd love to see when these venues are finalized to be quite honest right are they just going to keep changing this with each cost, oh, we're not going to be able to build that. We'll have to do this. Are we just going to eliminate whole things? Don't know. know. Some better news, though. France24.com had an update on the Notre Dame Cathedral Restoration Project. Because as you may remember, in 2018, the spire of the cathedral and the roof were destroyed. 
And Culture Minister Rima Abdul-Malak has said that the cleanup phase of the restoration project is done and rebuilding will get underway at the end of the summer. So the cathedral should be reopened in time for 2024 games. Jill, I, I know you're from Indiana, but it's Notre Dame. Anyway, I'm not changing it. Today I'm feeling feisty. I'm not changing my pronunciation. I wasn't asking you to change your pronunciation. I just wanted to make sure we got that on the record. All right. Well, you know. Jacques, will, when you're in his backyard, he may say, Mon Dieu, we do not say that. <laughs> Let's give a big shout out to our Patreon patrons who keep our flame alive. And maybe if you're a Patreon patron, let us know. Do you want me to say Notre Dame? Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> I know it makes me sound like a, a, a yokel when I say Notre Dame, but it's just that's how it rolled off the tongue today. And for Patreon pra- patrons who want to get in on it, we have China stories and Beijing stories that you have not heard. And Jill, even- even, Jill even kept it from me. <laughs> yes, our bonus episode for Patreon patrons is month is all about one of the china souvenirs that i had forgotten and decided to look into because it's it was quite mysterious so if you would like to find out more about patreon patronage check out patreon.com slash flame alive pod that is going to do it for this week let us know your thoughts about the changes to modern pentathlon and you can get in touch with us by email at flame alive pod at gmail.com Call or text us at 208-352-6348. That's 208-FLAME-IT. Our social handle is at Flame Alive Pod. And as I mentioned, be sure to join the Keep the Flame Alive podcast group on Facebook. Next week, we are going to have on author David Marinus, who you, re- re- you, who you may remember from our book club episode on Rome 1960. He's going to talk with us about his new biography called Path Lit by Lightning, The Life of Jim Thorpe. So this is very exciting. We've had his son Andrew on and we're excited to have David on as well. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. And until then, keep the flame alive.